Colossians 3. Uh, here's what we're doing. We are studying a letter. This was written by Paul in prison, and he's writing to a new church plant. And he's telling them, here's Jesus. He's everything. Everything you ever need spiritually is in him. He is God. He is the one who's come to save. Jesus is everything. And he's not just everything when you have him, but he changes everything. So he changes the way you do relationships, the way you do marriage, the way you do family, the way you, you do every part of your life. Jesus changes literally everything because he's God. And when he comes into you, you change and he's changing you. And so this is his whole passion and heart. He's been highlighting Jesus. And last week he's been saying, this is how Jesus changes this character. So therefore, because you're him, put away this old self. Don't reflect the world, reflect him. We've been studying how to walk out our salvation practically. And so today we're continuing, and the question is today, what does a Christian who's in relationship with Jesus, has received their identity in Jesus, what difference does their life make in relationships, in the relationships they are in? Okay, today we're going to be talking a lot about relationships. This whole chapter, chapter three, is about how to thrive in relationships. So this week we're going to hit with other believers, the church, friends, Next week, we're doing a whole sermon on marriage, then parenting, then work. Jesus changes relationships. And so the question is, how do we as Christians prepare to truly love like Jesus and treat others the way Jesus treated us? That's what's on Paul's heart. That's what we're going to dive into. The question being, does Jesus make any difference in how we do relationship? The answer is yes. And so... As we walk through this passage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the relationships you are in. Okay, I want you to think of your own relationships, the relationships you're in in this church, the relationships you are in in your family, in your home, at your work. I want you to have in mind real people, real relationships as we go through this passage because I believe God's going to do some, some exciting, transforming work in your heart and in your relationships if we take heed to this, okay? So you think of the relationships you're in as we walk into a passage because this would have been read to the local church and they'd be going, I know what he's saying. I know what I gotta do, all right? Okay, so will you stand with me? We're doing this for this series, Colossians. We're gonna read our passage and then we'll unpack our three points. Here's what he says. We're picking up in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. All right, so here's what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, these will be our points. First, he's going to say, clothe yourselves, put on, clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed in. 
So he's, he's going to draw to the illusion that you've been given a wardrobe in Jesus. Now you're going to put that on. So, so clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed in. Second, he's going to say, let the peace of Christ guide and rule every issue. So there's going to be issues in your relationships. What's the guiding? What's the ruling? How do we govern this? How do we do relationships when there's issues, conflict, all that? The word of Christ. And then third, he's going to sing, he's going to say, sing truth to love others. It, it, I'm really excited about this one because this is one of, a, one of the rare passages of the many manuscripts we have in the New Testament that actually give a glimpse into how the early church worshiped. And so we're gonna slow down and we're gonna talk about local church singing. How do we sing? How do we pick the songs we sing? What, what, what is singing in the church? And so this is why I love, by the way, we go through books of the Bible because you're just gonna hit everything it hits. So, so that's where we're going. Clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed with. Let the peace of Christ guide and rule every issue. And then let's sing truth to love others. Okay, number one, clothe yourself in what you've been clothed with by Jesus. How many of you at night, you, you put your clothes out before, like let's just show of hands, it'll be interesting. How many of you actually, you set your clothes out before the day? Like, you know what you're wearing the next day? Anyone? Wow, I thought it'd be more. Um, me, this is me. I always set out my clothes before I go to bed. I wanna know what I'm gonna wear the next day. Now, I'll tell you where this began. This began for me in Bible college, okay? Kind of a f funny small story, but uh, literally, I, I've never seen a dorm room this small in my life. So we had the smallest bathroom dorm room and I had two roommates. So there's three of us in there with three beds. It was basically beds and drawers. And so what happened early on was, uh, you know, the class schedules, some would wake up really early and they'd be like, and we'd wake up the whole room. So we would, you know, we'd want to be compassionate. And so we decided as a, as a room, we're going to set out our clothes the night before. Okay. And so that's, that's where it came for me. Um, okay. Here's a funny, I'll just give you a funny story about that. Um, so I had two roommates, one guy I went to high school with named Jonathan, another guy um, named Ben, we called him Beej. Long story, B-E-E-J. People thought we were saying something different for a long time, but Beej. <laughs> Um, and so, and Beach was the funniest guy. Like he, even physically, it looks like he, like he was just shapes. Like, I don't know how to explain this, but he was like triangle. And like, he just, he was like a man of shapes. Like he ate Jenga for breakfast. Like he was just weird. Um, and he was so quirky, such a fun guy, but, but sincerely quirky. Like he would, he would show up to the cafeteria and just sing worship songs to serenade people. But like in a weird way where like, he's thinking you guys are being so blessed right now. It was just a strange guy. Um, so anyways, one, one night before bed, um, I noticed Beach put out, remember those like Velcro monkey stuffies, the stuffed animals with the Velcro monkeys with the hands? So he put like this stuffed monkey with Velcro over his clothes. And I was like, Jonathan, I think Beach is going to wear the monkey to school tomorrow. He's like, he can't do that. I'm like, I know, this is the weirdest thing. So we had literally for half an hour had to explain to Beach that you can't wear the monkey tomorrow. Like, what would be your motive? Like, literally half an hour. Anyways, has nothing to do with the sermon. What's my point? Here's, here's the big idea. Just as you prepare for the day by clothing yourself physically, Paul is saying we are to prepare for the day by clothing ourselves spiritually. Here's how he says it, verse 12, put on then. He's like, get dressed with, clothe yourself. 
Um, we're to have whatever he says next laid out for us. So whatever he says next, he's saying, put this on. This is a command. It's an imperative. Like clothe yourselves, get dressed with. And then he says, notice this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is so good. This is where I get my point. But notice he doesn't begin with saying, put on compassionate hearts and put on kindness, he begins with drawing their attention to the fact that the clothes they're to put on come from the clothes Jesus has put on them. That they've been clothed by him with everything they need to love others like Jesus has loved them. He's helping them see as you've been clothed with Jesus, everything that you're to put on, Jesus gave to you, everything you need, you have. So he says, before we get the wardrobe of compassionate hearts, we need to do so from the wardrobe we received. And this is very key. That has to come first. So, so here's what we need to teach and encourage ourselves in. What is that wardrobe? Well, look at what he says. He says, as chosen, as loved, as holy. This is who you are. Sure, church, this is who you are. These are the clothes you have. The closet is full of these things. And here's what you need to remember, because we've said it a few times here. Our identity is what shapes our activity, not the, way, not the other way around. Who we are determines what we do. So I want to just take maybe two or three minutes and get amazed by the wardrobe we have. He says, as chosen ones, like God chose you. Like he chose you. If you're a Christian and you have faith in him and you have a new heart and you love this, you just love him and you're a believer, he chose that. That was his choice. And, and, and he knew you. Like he knew you. Think about this. He knows your secrets. He knows what you've done. He knows what you think. And some of you would say, you know what, man, if God knew this kind of person I would be today, I don't think he'd go to the cross. But yet all our sins were future when Christ died. So, so God was the one who made this choice. You need to receive this in your heart. This decision emanated from him and him alone. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't mine. It was his. He's for you. He's not against you. Being chosen means God's love for me is not based off my activities or the things that I do or don't do, but on the sacrifice and the will of Jesus. Paul says to the Colossians, you're secure in the Father's love. You're clothed with everything you need to put on. You don't need to go spiritually shopping. You don't need to add any works to that. This is how you've been loved. The closet's full in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says it in a different way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So you're chosen. Then he says, holy. This is the idea of being cut out, holy, set apart. Um, he wants to use you, right? Whenever you want to like, you know, tell someone something or you want to copy and paste, you have to cut it out and then you use it to encourage someone. God has cut us out. Not only did he choose us, but he has life and works and a relationship for us. Sam Storms in his commentary writes this, I can almost hear Paul shouting, people, 
Do you have any idea who you are? Elect, holy, beloved. And do you know who's responsible for, responsible for this? God, not you. Here then is how you are to live. Right, so you're holy, you're beloved. These are the clothes you are clothed with Jesus. Now take them and put them on. Okay, now we're gonna get practical on how to do this, but you need to begin there. We need to begin there, sure. So, so he's saying, here's what Jesus was like for you. Now go reflect what you have by the clothes you put on. So what are they? Verse 12. So if our point is clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed in. Verse 12, compassionate hearts. So here's the first outfit you're, you're to lay out for the day. Compassionate hearts. Uh, this is a word that means from the bowels. It's... it's, it's um, it's a word that means to have a deep awareness and sympathy of someone who's suffering. A good translation would be tenderness of heart or uh, tender mercy. This is, you're a considerate person. So he says, wear that. I'm gonna put that on. And then second, he says, put on kindness. This was a word used to describe wine, which grew mellow with age and has lost its harshness. So, so put on kindness. Let me ask you, who needs you to put on kindness? Who hasn't received kindness? Who's been mean to you? Okay, he goes on. Humility. Put on humility. Humility is what? It's knowing your place. It's not thinking lowly of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking accurately about yourself. Paul puts it in Romans. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. That literally means sensible, accurate thinking. Okay, if you're, if you're this person, when you're talking to a true, humble person, you'll walk away from a conversation and you'll be amazed how much they didn't even mention themselves, how much you were lifted up, how much you were encouraged because they're not thinking about themselves in a room. They're humble. He says meekness. Meekness is a sign of strength, a sign of control. It's not weakness. He says patience. How many of you? This, is, this one's for me. Patience is, I do not put patience on. I'll try compassion at heart and all that, but I'm not a patient person. I, I lose my patience. I'm like zero to 10 on patience. So you put it on. Patience, it means bearing when you're not happy. Paul says we, we wear that. That's a great outfit in your day. This is how the Christian is to as loved, as one who's been chosen, as we put that on. But why? Why do we need to have those clothes on? Why, why have mentally the Holy Spirit, because those are fruits of the Spirit, going, God, will you help me be this today? Why? Well, he tells us why, because people are messy. Look at verse 13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So why do we need those specific clothes? Well, because we're a mess, right? We're all in progress. There's going to be issues. There's going to be disputes. There's going to be complaints. There's going to be conflict. Jesus is changing us, but we don't celebrate that we're perfect or holy. How many of you right now, you're bearing with someone today? There, there's an issue going on. There's, there's an untalked about issue. There's some angst in you with your spouse, with a friend, with someone at work, and, and you're enduring something. 
How many of you have ever had a complaint against another person in the church? Okay, don't show hands, but just, you've had a complaint. You're like, that bugs me. That person bugs me. Or how many of you have a relational dispute right now in your home, in your marriage, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, it's called Tuesday. So it's, it's, a, it's community group. How many of you are right now just frustrated with someone? This is why you need to wear Jesus's clothes. Why we're to prepare ourselves every day spiritually because the way God's gonna sanctify that, grow us is in relationships with one another. So let me ask us this, okay? When you're in a conflict or you're having relational disputes or friction, what's running in your hearts? This is what he's trying to say in this whole passage. What's running in your hearts? Is it the way Jesus has loved you? That's what he's saying. He's saying what we need to have in, in our clothing is, is this, how has Jesus loved me in this? So, so let me slow down and, and, and don't drift here because this is really important. One key in every relationship we're gonna hit over the next few weeks, in every one of your relationships, anyone that came to mind, one key to see in this passage is to see that with the clothes of Jesus on, the most important lens to have with any issue is to not make it about the issue, but about the relationship. It's to not make it about the issue, but about the relationship, okay? So, so think about this in relation to our salvation, God's relationship with us. What was, the, what was most important to Jesus when he came? By the way, when you watch Jesus' life, if you're not a Christian, you're asking questions, watch his life. I mean, just read those four gospels and look at how he did relationships. But, but what was in his heart when he came? Was, it, was his biggest passion, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick sin in the face, I'm gonna die for it, and, and, and we're gonna die in their place and rise again. Why? Why was that most important? The answer wasn't like, God has something to do with sin and he's angry at it. It's because what was keeping us from the main thing, which is a relationship with our father, was in the way. And forgiveness brought us into relationship with him. What I'm saying is this, relationships are more important than the issue. So Paul's talking to a church. This is what he's emphasizing. He's saying, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The way to bear with others is to make the issue at hand, not the main thing, but the relationship. The way to bear with one another is to make the issue not the issue, but the relationship. That's the most important thing. If you want someone, if you want to really love someone and speak into their lives, they need to know you love them. The greatest way to unity is to make it about the relationship. You can forgive because you love. When it comes to forgiveness, let me ask you this question. What was the greatest wrongdoing someone forgave you for? What was the greatest wrongdoing and someone forgave you? How did that feel? Share that. So when it comes to putting on this article, we need to think when it comes to forgiveness, did Jesus have mercy, humility, meekness when it came to my life? To put it another way, could Jesus right now call out a complaint of how you've treated him, you've neglected him, you've ignored him? Could Jesus right now look at James Bonney's life and go, man, I, I could call out a complaint that you, how you've treated me, ignored me, or yes. 
And what was Jesus' real attitude and action toward me? That's what we're to have clothed in. When you can say to a relationship or to an enemy, Jesus didn't wait until I got good and wanted him. He died for me while I was a hateful enemy. He loved me and forgave me and he loves you too. And I wanna show you that love. God gets the praise. That makes Christ look great. The devil cringes at that. Satan and demons hate that. If, if, you, if you look at the Bible, Satan and demons, they can't forgive, they don't forgive, they've never forgiven, and they won't be forgiven. They hate it, which is why unforgiveness and anger can bring a stronghold into a relationship. So next time you have a complaint or need to live with a painful consequence of another person's sin or hurt or failure, which is forgiveness, it's choosing to absorb the debt and not making them pay like Christ did for us, what Paul is saying is try to think what Jesus has forgiven you for. Clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed in. Perhaps you think, here's how Jesus treated me in this situation. Now maybe like him, I can absorb this and make him pay and not make him pay. So the question is, who comes to mind? Like who's one relationship you have where you know you need to be putting on Jesus' clothes and go, I, I haven't been merciful here. What complaint do you have right now that you need to forgive? For some of you, that's the person next to you. For others, that could be a person two or three years removed from your life. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul continues, number two. So if that's clothe yourselves and what you've been clothed in, he's gonna say, let the peace of Christ guide and rule every issue. He wants us to see this is how we do relationships. Verse 15, this is where I get my point, just says it. And let the peace of Christ rule. Where? In your hearts. Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Okay, this is a really unique verse. I'll explain why. This word rule is only used once in the entire New Testament language. Uh, and so it's such a unique thing he's trying to say here. So when we read it in the English translation, we're like, that makes sense. He, we want the peace of Christ, the, 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 the salvation that Christ died to give us, peace with relationship, peace in the gospel. We get that. We want it to rule all of our lives. But what this word rule means, it comes from the word arbiter or umpire. It was a word that they used of the umpires in the ancient games, the ones who called the shots. And so Paul's not telling us, you know, you know how you've heard this before, like, I just have peace in my heart about this decision. And so I'm just gonna, the peace, that's not what he's saying. He is saying in any relationship, in any context, in any time you're, you're choosing between alternatives, right? Like, you know, you have like the baseball field and, and the kid comes in and, He's like, safe, and this side's like, no, he was out. Anytime you have this, he says, you bring Jesus in. Jesus is the umpire. He's saying, in making decisions between all that, the major goal in your heart, now this is really key, in your heart, 
for the outcome of that is not the issue, the relationship, but it's preserving the inward and communal peace that Christ gave and gives. You care more about the peace in the body of Christ than the issue. That's gospel conflict. In other words, you care more that the grace of God, even if it costs you a few thousand dollars, looked great because you forgave than you do in that. The peace of Christ is ruling in the church. Here's what one commentator said. He said, a decisive factor in how you should conduct yourselves in relation one to another is whether or not the peace that Christ died to achieve and in part is preserved and promoted, not if I win some kind of justice or I feel good now, but rather was Jesus in the cross at play and powerfully portrayed in our hearts as the guiding principle. So here's the question, is Jesus the umpire? When you're in the middle of an issue, what needs to be the right call is what would magnify Christ, what would bring the peace of Christ in the relationship. So how do you do this? My advice is you just bring Jesus in, okay? It's amazing. I've done a lot of counseling before between people who are trying to sue each other or people in a conflict or marriage conflict. It's amazing that when you just begin in prayer and you bring Jesus in the room, what happens? And my advice to you is bring Jesus and what he's done for us in the room and what matters most to God. And so I will, I'll pray, God, you, you did not treat us the way we deserved. You showed us grace and mercy. You forgave us because you cared about our relationship more than you did our sin and the damnation we deserve. And so will you help us love that? Will you help us, will you help at the end of this meeting that, that there's peace, that marriage matters more, that, that this relationship in the church unity matters more? And everyone hates it. We just hate that. Some, I remember one conflict I was in, I would say, okay, here's, no one's getting anywhere. We tried to listen to both stories. And I said, here's what happens. Jesus died for you. It cost him his life. I want you to think of a number that's gonna cost you. It's gonna hurt you. And I want you to think of a number of the grace of God that's gonna cost you. And you guys might not be best friends wearing matching sweaters after this, but God's gonna look good and it's both gonna cost and you need to forgive one another. So they went to the bathroom, chose a number, came in. But it was the peace of Christ was the, was the guiding rule in the community of faith. This is why Paul freaks out when the church is suing each other. He's like, you guys have the gospel in the middle. What's happening? This doesn't make sense to us. I know, okay, I know, you guys struggle with it, it's fine. But let the peace of Christ rule. Now, focus here, it's not just the peace rule. Peace of Christ. So we go to the gospel, we look at the gospel, we stare at the gospel, and we say, that is worth preserving. This is our guide. Jesus, you're the umpire. What do you think? Now, that's important because a lot of churches, for the sake of unity, will oftentimes pull out truth. Peace doesn't trump truth because it's Christ. Okay, which is why he says what he says next. Okay, look at verse 16. He continues, let the word of Christ, now this is gonna be really fun. Let the word of Christ, man, my words are weird. Let the word of Christ, Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so we've seen clothe yourselves in what you've been clothed in. Let the word of, let the peace of Christ guide and rule every issue. And then 
Um, by the way, we're gonna hit that in marriage next week, how you do that in marriage. Um, but number three, sing truth to love others, okay? You're like, where did you get that? Let me tell you where I got that, because that's a good question. I'm really excited because I, I didn't see this till I slowed down and saw this. Almost all the commentators and scholars are saying what is being said here is this, okay? Here's the translation on the screen of the next one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. You is plural. So the whole church should have the word of Christ. That is the teachings of Christ on all of scripture, what he's done, his salvation. We need to know Christ. It should be, it should be in us. So he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. That's all of us. In all wisdom, by means of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing in your hearts to God with thanksgiving. Okay, here's another place to show you almost the same thing that Paul is saying here. Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the Spirit gonna do? Addressing one another. In our passage, it's teaching. It's almost the same Greek word. It means to impart knowledge. Addressing one another, how? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So what is this? This is a snapshot into the early church of how they did a lot of the transferring of teaching and doctrine. There seems to be, in the early church, a ministry that was shared among the people that came out through singing. And and if you begin to look at the Bible, you'll go, wow, man, this is there. Like in one place in Acts, they're in prison. And what do they start doing? To encourage each other, to, to go, Christ is here. We have to trust him. They started singing, right? If you, if you go back into history where you read about some of the horrific slavery or in the concentration camps, you see the same truth. Namely, the songs were everything. They, would, they, were, what's, they were how they held on to Christ. Singing in God's wiring of the church is to be a huge emphasis and a huge way we teach and admonish one another. It, it's, it's a little breathtaking. To, I kind of wish we could go back and just see what this looked like. But it looked like they would sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs all the time. Because you got to follow me here. There's no printing press. There's no social media. There's no books. There's none of that. So the word about Christ, the truth revealed in scripture, his salvation, his character, his will was often spread most powerfully through their songs, right? To sing about Jesus' story and work, right? Like every day was probably like the greatest showman to them. Like it was just like, let's sing this one out. And they would sing. So so Paul's not... Paul is saying, no matter the genre, okay, we're not, you know, we won't get into that. No matter the emotion, what's really important, and follow me here, for the early church was the content of the songs. 
that they were filled with the word of Christ. So let me say a few things about this. When we encounter the church, what we should want to encounter in our souls are a people in their hearts singing songs dripped with Christ, just oozing with his story and his work and his teaching. I mean, this is what he's saying. Not just mentioning him once as a way to help us cope or conquer something we can feel good about. And I, I, you know, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to judge the hearts of great saints who've written worship songs, but there's a trend in modern day worship that sings songs about how can I conquer my world? How can I enter into my destiny? How can I triumph over my enemies and claim my inheritance? How can I better cope with life's daily struggles? How can I relate more effectively with my peers? How can I, it's a, it, there's a me-centeredness to some of the songs that are coming out there. More than likely, the hearts are good. But what Paul has running in his heart are songs that are sung where God is not only magnified, but you need to hear this. People are educated with Christ. Our songs need to educate with Christ. People should have the gospel knowing in their singing. By means, he says, of psalms, hymns, and, and, and songs, we teach. So how are we to teach? The word admonish means to give good counsel. How do we give counsel? Singing Christ-dripping songs. Here's how uh, Mike Cosper, he writes a lot on this. He says this, it'll be on the screen here. If music in the church is just about consumeristic preference, then my singing is motivated by my personal tastes. That's convicting. Okay, if singing is about letting God's word dwell among us, then my singing is motivated by the love for God whose word I want dwelling with me and love for my church family whom I, whom I have the chance to admonish and encourage as I sing. If we believe that the word of Christ dwells richly in us as we sing it, then the way we sing and what we sing have a much different importance. We don't wanna miss out on the opportunity to experience the richness of God's indwelling word and we will if we treat songs as something sentimental or optional. I think biblically, our songs should transfer the center of our attention from ourself to Christ, his work, his glory, his story. Why? Well, first, a right understanding of the gospel propels people into true worship a right understanding of the gospel will propel people to true worship. Second, I, I, like, and I know you love sermons here at the Shore Church, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, most people get their theology from the songs they sing. You, you may not remember the sermons, but you remember the songs. Uh, and I'm really proud of Jill, who leads our, our uh, music here. She really holds this line hard. Her convictions on Sundays... And you saw it today is to craft a service where the gospel story is rehearsed, where all the songs you sing are Christ is great and I'm nothing without him. Um, 
that we're sinners, Jesus saves us. It's like communion. We celebrate communion every week because it's an opportunity to reorient ourselves around the greatest story, our Savior, Jesus. That's practically what should it look like in the songs. So, so let me, uh, how are we doing for time? Well, you know, the first tw- 10 minutes didn't count because it was all budget stuff. So let me finish, okay? Um, let, let me share really quick, what is this? Like, what, what does he mean by Psalms, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs? First, Psalms are those, like it sounds, the Old Testament-inspired compositions. They would sing the Old Testament, like the Psalms, the book of Psalms. They would sing those, and, and so you can, you can go and you can read those, and we sing a lot of those Psalms. Um, also, what are hymns, okay? Hymns were any human composition that focused on Christ and the way Christ redeems his people. So for example, you can look at Hannah's song in 1 Samuel is a hymn. Uh, the song of Moses is a hymn. Mary's Magnificat and Luke is a hymn. Uh, any song that we're singing about Christ are hymns. And um, the best examples are what, you know, Josh preached on there, the Colossians. He breaks out in a hymn, which is like, this is who Christ is, this is what Christ has done. So you have Psalms, songs about Jesus, and then there's spiritual songs. What are those, okay? Really quick, those, they seem to be, while worshiping Jesus or praying, these are songs that would just come out unrehearsed and improvised. They would be short melodies or praises where, where while singing and inspired, you would just start singing a new song. They're new songs inspired by the Spirit that would often happen in the local church, at least during Paul's ministry, and, and it was exciting. They, they would give room to spontaneous, Spirit-led times where the Spirit could lead a worship service. Now, I kind of think that's one area, and me and Jill talked about this, where we can grow. What would it look like at the short church to sing spiritual songs? And so we're, we're not the perfect church, but... All these spiritual songs were songs about Christ. That's the point. They weren't just like, hmm, or, or, or just let's praise and praise and like over and over. Like they were songs about Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this. How many of you, when you're praying, you're going through an anxious time, you just start singing. And maybe it's a hymn that you know, but maybe that hymn busts out into new lyrics that you just start singing and you will never sing that song again, but that was a song the Holy Spirit gave you and you were singing it. I don't know about you, but when I'm happy, I sing. When I'm struggling with something, I will sing. The Christian life is one that you sing. We're meant to sing. God loves when we sing. It's part of your Christian Holy Spirit-filled being to sing and find joy in God through song. When God does a miracle in my life, answers prayer, I sing. First Chronicles 16, nine says, sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Notice the content. Tell him how great he is. Because that's worship. And you see that, you go, love that. Glorious. Sing the glory of his name. Psalm 66, give, give to him glorious praise. This is a good one. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull, more than your tithe. He wants your singing. You want to please God? Sing in your heart. 1 Corinthians 14, here are some leaders in the church have talked about their own life. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. James 5, 
Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise. We should close and sing. All right, will you stand with us?